Picture this. The journey ahead starts here together, and together we can build a brighter future. You are listening to Illuminating Hope, a podcast of Hope House. Welcome to Illuminating Hope. I'm your host, Tina Johnson, Manager of Community Partnerships, alongside my co-host, Marianne Matheny, CEO of Hope House. Together, we want to give a warm welcome to Detective Carolina Yeager. Detective Yeager was the 2019 recipient of Hope House Everyday Hero Recognition Award. Detective Yeager has been a Blue Springs police officer since 2007 and became the domestic violence detective in October of 2016. As the domestic violence detective, she works closely with Hope House advocates, providing them with necessary reports. She revisits high-danger homes, supports Hope House in coordinating community meetings, and works closely with the court advocate and program management. She has always been and continues to be easily accessible and ready to assist victims and Hope House staff at all times. Detective Yeager is a strong-willed and confident advocate of survivors of domestic violence and consistently exhibits that in all the work she does every day. Welcome, and thank you for joining us today. I'm excited to talk with you about your experiences and just how the relationship with Hope House kind of started, and so we're going to just dive right in. So could you just kind of share, how did you come to be in law enforcement in the first place? I always wanted to help people growing up. We had no resources that my family probably could have used. Also, I was an immigrant juvenile because we weren't born here, but we migrated. And realizing that there was just a, a lack of resources and connection between the Latino culture and law enforcement, I thought this would be perfect because not only could I deal with juveniles, I could deal with I mean, there's just so many different things that you deal with in law enforcement. So that was kind of really what set me off. Um, started as a GLR in 2003, and I knew right then and there that this job, being a jailer, wasn't as challenging. And so I put in my application to become a law enforcement officer, and here I am. So being a jailer wasn't challenging? I would think that would be very challenging. I would too. Interesting. That's an interesting, yeah. It's not. You're kind of confined in one area, so you only reach the people that make it to the jail. So there's people that might necessarily not be committed to crime, so they didn't make, you know, didn't go to jail, but you're able to still connect with them, and that's what I wanted. I wanted to connect with so many different people, not just people that were coming into jail, so. And do I remember in 2016, then you became a detective? Yes, Is that correct? Do you want to talk a little bit about what you do in that scope? Oh, my Oh my gosh, I so yes, I put in for the domestic violence detective position, and just some of the things that I do is I connect with victims that are going through a difficult time. I do we do revisits, we do domestic violence court docket, which is a special docket that is specifically for domestic violence cases. Um, we learned that in the past, municipalities would have dockets involving animal control, involving traffic, and that's embarrassing when you're dealing with this type of stuff. So, and this is already stressful type of incident so we wanted to dedicate that we also do we investigate cases that get assigned whether they're a city case a state case when it comes to domestic violence involving you know intimate partners or family members because that's also considered domestic violence but we're basically out there trying to give resources and we work really well with Hope House so they're amazing I didn't realize how deep that they help our victims and how well they know this world domestic violence is a whole world you know and they 
know this world back and forth. And I mean, I'm telling you what, it's like leaving your kid with your mom. You feel so good and safe. So knowing that I connect a victim with Hope House is kind of like leaving my kid with my mom. I feel good about it knowing that they're in good hands and they're going to take it from there. That is amazing. We have some of the best court advocates and caseworkers and therapists I think that I've ever known. So I agree. Yeah, it's an honor actually to work here with them. I'm curious about just the what you think the reception has been with your department around having a dedicated detective working on domestic violence, working with Hope House. Do you feel like that's always been accepted or was there some period of time where it took to get you know, the rank and file, get everybody on board with it? Or My experience has always been really positive with my police department and their support in this role and what I what we do because it does, I mean, it takes a village and I have amazing co-workers that will pick up where I've left off, but I never experienced, you know, any problems or this is probably one of the reasons why I put it for the domestic violence position because I knew I mean how much it was supported and I mean I wanted to be a part of that team I wanted to be the one that people called when they need something I wanted to be the one that you know even if we didn't you know fall through and press charges if even if that didn't happen at least they had somebody that they could contact you know they felt safe with I tell them all the time I tell victims all the time it's okay if you're not ready that's fine I respect that you have my number you have my contact information no matter what you want you can call me I wanted to be that person that they could call in their time of need or whenever they felt they needed do you think one of the things that we get asked a lot is you know what is domestic violence how does it happen and who does it happen to and there tends to be a, a misconception or a myth that it only only happens in certain areas that it doesn't, you know, if you live in the suburbs, it doesn't happen. If you're in a certain socioeconomic status, it doesn't happen. Have you, as the detective, the domestic violence detective, have you come across those kinds of myths that you've had to educate people on? Or do you feel like the people that you've encountered, whether it's a victim or just, you know, somebody in the community, do you feel like people are understanding domestic violence better than they did before? I think that they are maybe have a little bit more grasp because, you know, growing up, you didn't talk about domestic violence. It was, I mean, it was a big deal. Obviously, the woman with the bruised eye comes to my mind, and you would be like, oh God, you know, and there was always that cliche that the victim would say, oh, I, I fell and hit the door, or, you know, it's just always something like that. So, I do feel like they're more educated, but maybe it's just because I'm in the domestic violence world, and so this is what we do, is we educate and provide knowledge. You know, in our police department, we do have a domestic violence packet that we provide victims, but you also have the inner there's that resource there's you know you have podcasts you know you have I mean there's Netflix Hulu that has there's a good movie that portrays domestic violence I think it's the maid oh my so God. good it literally I mean if you do not understand domestic violence I need you to watch that absolutely I mean I think every police department should watch that for that reason because it's that is domestic violence I mean she, this poor woman tried to get away from this abuser and then in, in the end ended up going back because of need and so domestic violence has so many symptoms. It's, I say that it's a pandemic without a shot to fix it. So Excellent uh, definition, definitely. How do you, what do you look for to escalate any kind of charges when it comes to domestic violence? How do you build a case against an abuser? Well, in our police department, obviously for state charges, we do formal interviews with victims and that will help if the police officer, the initial police officer did not um, maybe ask some follow-up questions that will explain the, the injuries or, you know, maybe get some clarification as to what happened. 
but all strangulations in our police department are 24-hour holds. What that means is if the abuser is on scene, they will get arrested, and we have up to 24 hours to present the case to the Jackson County Prosecutor's Office, and I have never not gotten charges on a 24-hour hold, nor have I, nor have they ever said, no, we're not taking this. It, and we normally get it on, tw- you know, way before the 24 hours. So it's, again, a lot of teamwork, knowing, understanding that, you know, when this happens, there's protocol and procedure. So they'll call the on-call detective. We go out and make contact with the victim. That's our formal interview. And, and then move from there, determining what we need. If there's children present, um, we'll need to hotline that. And so getting them a referral to the Children's Protection Center is a must. And then they get interviewed by a forensic interviewer, which is somebody that specializes in interviews with children. We have medical you know, if they want to get medical attention, we get medical release assigned so that we can obtain their medical information to furthermore corroborate their story. But basically, it takes a interviewing the victim, the suspect, if there were any children present, any witnesses present, obtaining all that information, providing a police report, and a couple of documents that include a probable cause statement. We present that to the Jackson County Prosecutor's Office, and then they you know, send that over to the judge who's also on call. So you have your prosecutors who are on call, the judges who are on call, it's it's a team. And then we forward that information to the prosecutor's office. They forward it to the courts and then we get a, a warrant back. Pictures get taken. Um, sometimes the biggest thing that we have right now is video cameras, indoor and outdoor. Everybody has some type of video security, which sometimes can make your case without So you can use video, it's viable then. That is correct. Does it ever make a victim nervous because you are a mandate reporter? Does it make them nervous when you have to hotline their children? Okay, how do you calm them? I explain to them, I throw everything out on the table because I don't want them to have surprises and I want them to trust me. So I say, hey, part of our job is to report this. This is not against you. And if you have any issues, please let me know because this is not to punish you. But we want to make sure that the children are safe and, you know, obviously it's still their choice whether they choose to participate in the um, forensic interview for the children. But, you know, we explain to them, this is not against you. These are not your actions. These are because it happened. They were present and that's part of our job. So if anything else happens of that, if you feel like you're getting, call me and we'll try to figure something out. Because I'm sure the reassurance is very much needed at that point because most of your domestic violence victims feel, well, their worth is in the tank. And so they, they're probably afraid of losing their children because they've been told by an abuser, most of them, that if you leave, you're not taking the kids. That is correct. Or they say that they're going to take them away from them. Right. And so I know in the past we did have that problem. I know Hope House works very close with Children's Division Services to get that education to say we're not punishing the victim. Like that has to stop because that was part of learning about domestic violence. I mean, I was guilty of saying, hey, you're going to be with this person. You're putting your kids in danger. I was one of those people that believed that. But after being to a lot of trainings and understanding, like that's not what we do. That's not okay. We, We have to support them, you know, as well as we ask the victims to do so many different things. You gotta go get medical attention. We need you to go to the ex parte court. You gotta do an emergency ex parte. Like they're gone for anywhere from six to 10 hours after the incident happened. I can't imagine what that would be like to me. Like that would be crazy. But then the abuser just gets to live his life free and clear, not having to worry about anything. So we put the pressure more on the abuser. Like, why are you with this person if 
they're crazy or, you know, they're not a fit parent. All the things they come up with to justify the abuse. Correct. So one of the things that we had been talking about was your culture, where you come from, and how being in the law enforcement can help you bridge some of those gaps that are there. Can you talk a little bit about that, some of the the cultural things that you know are present and then how you've been working to address those? Yes. I am Latina, so growing up, we kept our problems inside our home. We did not call the police. We did not, we didn't talk about it outside of the home. It just stayed in the home. And so when I come into contact with some victims, you know, I ask them, why didn't you report it? And they say the same thing because we don't do that. And I'm like, okay, well, this is not okay. I take that opportunity to explain to them, like, this is not okay. And what we were told is not correct. We need to report these types of things, even if you don't want to assist with the process. You know, I I give them all of their options. I give them, again, a packet that's in Spanish. I give them information that's in Spanish. I want to make sure that they are fully aware of everything that they need or, you know, to succeed or whatever they need. And if they don't want to leave the abuser, it's okay. But you can call the police because it's not okay what they're doing. So it's very important that I explain to them, you know, as I I get it. I'm from the same culture as you. I was told the same thing. And, man, if there were so many things that I could do differently, I would, you know, I wish that we could maybe educate um, some of our community about these types of things because had I not been in this culture, I wouldn't think that that, you know, I would be like, well, that's their fault for not calling police. But that's not, they aren't taught that. And so you respect and you, you respect what your elders tell you, number one. So if your parents are telling you we don't do that, you're going to grow up into that. That's how you're raising your kids. So now they have children that they're raising, not calling the police. It's got to stop. It's almost like you have to retrain your brain and just shift your focus on it's okay to call law enforcement for help. It's okay to call for help period. Yes. There's also that trust issue with law enforcement. And so I think that it's important that we show all the members of our community respect. And we have to do the right thing when it comes to a victim, because if we don't, that's going to make a big impression. And so that's another thing that I heard with victims that they had called the police and they didn't get the respect or the officers didn't believe them or they just downplayed their incident. So I would be like, well, I'm sorry that that happened, but that's not okay, and that's not how things should have went. And I explained to them what thing, how things should have gone so that they know in their head they didn't do anything wrong. They were failed. And so that's not going to happen moving forward because now you have a better officer, and, and sometimes you can explain to them that not all officers are the best. They're not doing the best work. They're not doing, you know, because there's nobody holding them accountable. Do you think it's a matter of domestic violence education, and where do you think that that's lacking in our community as a whole and in law enforcement? I really do think that we need to bring domestic violence education into our schools. So many of these kids live live domestic violence. Let's take a Latin family, you know, Mexican family, who they are told not to talk about it. So they go to school, and they're not okay mentally. They can't focus on it because they heard their daddy or mommy say something that scared them and so who do they have to reach out you know so you've got that but I also think in our community we have a lot of businesses corporations that maybe lack domestic violence education so many co-workers know that something's happening but they don't know how to help you know or they say well I told 
her to leave him and she doesn't want to. So, I mean, there's just so much more that we can do. I know that we're trying and we have online resources and things like that, but I really do feel like it needs to be, hey, this corporation, like let's take Walmart. Walmart's a pretty big corporation. How many employees do they have? Are they educated in this type of thing? And then, you know, the other thing that I've learned with victim, with their employers, they don't have that education. They get told, you've got to come to work or you're going to get fired. So if they have that education, these employers, they knew, they would know that they can't do that on a domestic violence victim. Especially on the middle management, upper management level, mm-hmm. it's so important to know what red flags are. Correct. And what they need to look for in these employees. Right. I, I, yeah, I think the education piece is like one of our biggest, one of the biggest jobs that we have, and it never ends. I mean, right. talking yes. on a regular basis to people from all over in different occupations, and it, it doesn't ever stop. I think one that kind of makes me lead into some of the things that we've been doing with law enforcement. Uh, we really have tried hard to partner so that we can make sure that the victims get the attention that they need and they get the service that they need. One of the things that we started and Blue Springs has been a part of for over a decade has been our lethality assessment. Lethality assessment is a tool that is used by law enforcement asking a series of questions that are research-based and then depending on how those questions are answered by the victim can really lead to a level of lethality if that person stays in the relationship. Can you talk about what impact that has had on law enforcement to be able to have that tool and its role in helping to educate the people who are experiencing the domestic violence. I think that that form is probably one of the best forms that we have when it comes to domestic violence because it takes the guesswork from the law enforcement. The law enforcement is not the one making that decision. We're asking the victim, are these problems happening? And if they are, you automatically recognize, hey, these are major red flags that we're collecting. I'm calling Europe. You're going to die. Like, that is the reality of the situation. So I don't have to, like, sometimes the victims don't talk to law enforcement and explain to them everything that's going on. So with that form, it kind of takes a little bit of that. I'm asking these questions because I want to know. It's more of, hey, this is part of my job. This is going to, we're going to assess the situation. So I think that that form, I think everybody should do that form. Business corporations, that way they're able to also get them connected to services because I'm telling you, they may not tell me or may not be ready for me, but when it comes to an advocate contacting them and advocating for them, it's a whole different story, and their world opens up. They automatically know law enforcement is involved, someone's going to get trouble, and they normally don't want to get that person in trouble, and I get that. But when it comes to connecting them with resources, which is what that lethality assessment form does, connects our victims with these resources, it opens up different doors for them. And I mean, I think that they're able to maybe not make a big leap, but just take little baby steps, which is what we need them to do. So that when they're ready to move forward or whatever it is that they want to do, they have that support and they know that they have that support. Leaving an abuser without any support is hard to do. They said it takes about seven tries for a victim to leave their abuser. And so I believe that because, especially in the economy that we're living in right now, I mean, that's hard to do. And we're asking this victim to leave their comfort and everything, take their children and leave because they're not going to do it because they can't financially. And so with that lethality assessment, now they have something else that they can say, okay, I need to do something. That's a big deal to me. 
It's almost like going to the doctor and getting a diagnosis, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Have you witnessed the abuse getting worse once she finally decides or he finally decides to leave an abuser? Yes. Talk a little bit about the post-separation abuse that you've witnessed. Well, there's still court dates that are happening, and they're still being stalked, harassed, being that, you know, I, I had a case where a abuser contacted the victim's employer and, you know, said some derogatory things about them or will post stuff on social media because that's now a thing and it's freedom of speech. It just, it doesn't end. It, you would think that it would end. I know that I've contacted the abusers and said, look, you're ready to get in big trouble. Like, you need a stop. It doesn't stop. They don't care. They have nothing to lose. They've lost everything that they have worked for in their mind and they've lost the power and they've lost the control. And so when that happens, it makes you a different person. It changes. They can't stop. So we have to really take these things seriously. So that lethality assessment guides us like, hey, uh uh-uh. You've answered yes to more than one two, three, you know, that are very dangerous. So we got to get you some help. And so the next step then is you complete that assessment with the victim and then offer and you make the call to Hope House in this situation. We're partnering with the law enforcement in Eastern Jackson County and we become then that resource to be able to help someone. And really it isn't about getting somebody to leave or making them do something that they're not ready to do. It's about offering resources and sharing the information around how dangerous the situation that they're in is, giving law enforcement the tool that they need to be able to say, you know what, I'm concerned about you. If you stay in this relationship, you have a high likelihood of being killed. So let's really get you connected with resources. And you don't have to leave. You don't have to do anything you're not ready for, but at least you have the resources available to you so you know what your options are. And I think that's one of the big misconceptions that people have. If I call the police, then that's going to mean that they will be arrested and I'll have to go into shelter. That Nothing could be further from the truth. You don't have to do anything you're not ready to do. But I do think that that is, to me, from my perspective, and I don't know what your thought is, but that worry that your abuser's going to be arrested and taken is such a concern for people that somebody outside of that situation or outside of that relationship can have a really hard time understanding that, really have a hard time understanding why someone wouldn't want their abuser to be arrested. I agree with you 100%. I know one of the things, too, when we would, you know, use a hotline number and connect them to a counselor, they would be like, well, I don't want to live in a shelter. And we'd be like, you don't have to. I know that I say that first when I, I'm trying to educate the victims and I, I explain to them. You're not required to live in there. You can live in your home and they can help. You know, whether we need to change your locks, whether we need to get you some video surveillance. These are things that are going to help you be at peace. Now, if at any point in time you don't feel safe because of this person's actions, you can call 911 or we can get you into a safe place. And that's what we call it in our police department is a safe place. They were taken or, you know, transported to a safe place because we don't put that information. Um, The other thing is our lethality assessment forms are only for law enforcement. It's a tool for us, and we don't share that with anybody else. And we also explain that to our victims because we don't want them saying, you know, hey, and then they're trying to get that information to their attorney, and their attorney doesn't have that. So we make sure that we tell them that that's not part of the reports, part of something that we use. So I agree. There's that misconception and it's hard like I said we play a role where we have to enforce the law and so when we I'm telling you when I connect our victims to our advocate I'm like listen they're going to take care of you better than I do because they that's their wheelhouse that's what they do I mean they will help you get through therapy if you need to whatever referral 
you need back to school supplies. I mean, something. If if you need something, they they'll try to figure it out for you. But you need to, you have to be the one that makes that phone call, and you have to be the one that says, "I need I need this." Because a lot of times when we're there, they don't want to talk. They downplay their injuries. They don't want medical attention. They don't want to talk to anybody, and they're just they're trying to process everything that just happened. Like when they call the police, something bad really happened that made them call the police. So. We have to take that into consideration. And, I mean, victims are just, there's so much that goes on with them. Heartbreaking because they've been through so much, and it's like, we just want to help. Please, let us help. It's such a complex situation, too, and I think that's what, it's our responsibility, I feel like, to help educate that. Just addressing one piece doesn't solve anything, doesn't make it go away, doesn't make all the problems go away, and actually can make them worse in some respects because, you know, you understanding that if an abuser is put in jail, they could be the primary breadwinner. And then where's the income going to come from? How are they going to take care of their children? How are they going to pay their bills? There's so much that goes into that. You know, our philosophy, and I think that the work that we do with law enforcement especially, is about giving people choices, that the choices have been taken, the option of having choices has been taken away from them. So it is about allowing them to make decisions that are right for them, whether we understand them or not, it is their right to be able to make decisions that fit for them. And then we work with them, help safety plan, help address those barriers that are in place, but doing it in the context of what they want. Yes. So I think it's also important for us to say that validity assessment doesn't just happen. There's a training that takes place and there's no one is just going out there and just doing this assessment. They have had training. They understand the connection with Hope House, or if it's a, another program, if we're not the, the partnering agency that works with them. So so no law enforcement is just out there doing that. They're going through a training. They have an agreement from the top that this is what, what we're going to do, and, and it's a partnership. It's important to make sure we that we say that, that not anybody can just go and, well, I'm going to do this assessment now, because it, it does require an understanding of the tool that you're using. That is 100% correct. You are correct. We not just we didn't just make up this form. Right. I mean, it was a like you said a partnership where we presented it and then agreed and then part of that was we are training on this. So, when we get new police officers that graduate the police academy or we get new police officers that are lateral transfers from a different agency. That is part of our training as we talk about this lethality assessment program that we have in place and why it's important. And it goes, we do it with every domestic violence call. It does not matter if there's a police report taken or not because that is a way to connect services to this victim. And so it also gives our advocate another way to follow up with a victim who may not want police services. I mean, it's just a great tool. It's a great, it's probably, yeah, it's a great tool. What are some of the questions, if you if you can say, on the legality tool? Um, one of them are, he does he or she know about kids that are not his? Has he or she ever followed you or, like, controlled your daily activities? What are some, what are some things that worry you about this person, you know, that you didn't get to mention on these questions? There's a total of 12 questions. Our police department has adopted a, or incorporated a 13th question. When advocates would get our police report, in the police report, it did not say if it was safe to leave the victim a voice message. So we incorporated that into our lethality assessment form. So when they get that, they have the victim's information and that it's safe. And if it's not safe, then 
um, what's another phone number or an email that we can contact you at safely? Well, I'm just curious, as law enforcement, what is it that you think is important for people to understand about you and what you do? I think there's a lot of, there's just a lot of different feelings out there around law enforcement based on people's interactions and responses. So as an advocate for law enforcement, what would you want people to understand about you and your role? I think that I would want them to understand that, you know, domestic violence is different for every um, case that we get. And so not every case is going to have the same outcome. And, you know, I want family members to understand that when we talk to a victim, like we really want to support them and explain to them and give them all the information. But ultimately, like you said, it's their decision. We have to go based on what they say. Now, if there's you know, severe injuries, we're going to push for these charges to get presented to the state. After our case goes to the prosecutor's office, we don't have any control over it. We want to be there for that family member to get them all the support that they can. But ultimately, you know, it's going to be up to them. And we just want these family members to know that we are trying to help their family member that's in a domestic violence situation because it's so hard to start a victim at the very beginning and get them to the end of the finish line. It's so, it's so hard. So we're doing everything that we can. Like we're, when we have a court docket the day before, we have a DV meeting with our advocate and our prosecutor. And when she, when the advocate is not able to contact the victim, here I am calling, leaving messages, trying to get that connection. I mean, we're really trying to get them to that finish line, but we don't always get to. So we, we're, you know, we're here. I would advocate for this victim like it was my family member. I wouldn't dare want my family member to be dealing with this. And if they did, I want them to have somebody who is going to understand and support and have some empathy over their situation because hard to, to say my, you know, significant other got arrested for abusing me and and telling that to your children like how do you move forward from that there's so much shame from that and just supporting your family knowing that you know they may not always want to assist with prosecution but be there for them to support them so don't call ridiculing them and saying I'm not going to support you anymore because that doesn't help us with their case that kind of only complicates things because when we're asking do you have a safe place to go and they say, well, I, you know, my, my family's tired. And it's like, oh, man, I'm sorry to hear that. Because now they really, probably feel even more defeated. They're going to probably go back to the, that abuser since they know they have no one else on their corner. So support your family. Know that we, this is what we get paid to do. Like, we're, this is where we want to be at, obviously. Uh, you know, this isn't, it's all, domestic violence is nothing there's nothing cute or sweet about domestic violence. It's very sad, very unfortunate things that happen. So we want to be doing this. So if you know that, if you know where an abuser is and law enforcement is trying to find out where that person is, help them out. Don't hide that person because they're going to continue to do this. And we just want to help. Help your law enforcement officers out. You know, if you see something, if you hear anything, if you have video, be that person that speaks up and says, here's what I have. You know, here's what I saw. Here's what I heard. A lot of times we do talk to witnesses and they don't want to be involved, which we can't force that. But God, how many cases can we make with witnesses or they provided something? So we're out here trying, but we need some help too. It takes a community. It really does. It really does. And it takes an empathetic community. And I think that's what I'm reading right now is how much empathy you have for victims of domestic violence. And we can't thank you enough as far as on behalf of Hope House, Marianne and myself. Thank you for being the public servant that you are because it's hard for us 
to reach those victims. Either call us or come through the police department, and we just so appreciate you guys. Well, thank you guys for doing what you do. You have the place, you have the food, you have everything that they need. They don't. You make it to where, I mean, I've seen, I've visited so many times, and every time I'm just like, I don't ever get bored of listening to them tell me about their safe places or shelters and everything that they do it's just so it's um, it's like my god why wouldn't we want to connect them with the you know victims like you want to connect it's a good team it is a great team it's a great team yes and without community involvement we couldn't even be here appreciate our community so much well thank you so much we just appreciate like i said the public servant that you are